Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode 16, our mid-month episode for May 2016. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I hope that you have had a great spring so far. I have had a pretty cool experience so far this spring because I feel like I'm actually getting my first taste of a true spring. Now, it's still a small taste. I'm still in the southeastern United States, but as I've shared on the podcast before, I grew up and lived in Florida up until last summer, and so I've never actually had a true spring before. We really just go from kind of chilly to just sweat and pollen and (laughs) and grass and all this stuff uh, in Florida that makes spring really just a prelude to summer. But we've moved a little further north, like I said, still in the southeastern United States, but we're far enough north that all of the trees had flowers before they had leaves. And we had all these amazing uh, flowering bushes and things. And I'm finally understanding what spring is all about. Everyone always talks about how they love spring and it's this great metaphor and it's around Easter time and it teaches a story of resurrection. And in Florida, I just never got it because it's, it's just sweat. It's just gross. It's just hot. But here, uh, it's been really kind of cool. Now, my allergies are out of control. I I just wake up every day completely congested, completely clogged up, and I I take a pill every day. I do nose sprays every day during this time of the year. I do eye drops before I go to bed. I've tried the local honey root. I'm just wondering, what do you all do during allergy season to keep yourself in shape to preach? Uh, One of the things that I am so grateful for, probably a combination of God's grace and my own stupidity, but I have never been too sick to preach, or I've at least never decided that I was too sick to preach and never had to miss a Sunday due to illness. Uh, Now, I have certainly had those Sundays where I don't want to touch anything or touch anybody, don't want to shake any hands because I don't want to get anybody sick. I've certainly had sermons that probably didn't come out quite as coherently as they could have, maybe some messages that I cut short because I wasn't feeling well, and I know for a fact I have had sermons where I sound like Kermit the Frog after gargling a glass full of pavement. Uh, But how do you deal with uh, this allergy season, the flu and cold season? Have you ever had to miss a Sunday? What do you do when that happens? Does it suddenly become hymn sing Sunday? Uh, do you have another pastor in town or a retired clergy member that you're able to call on? Uh, maybe you're a small group leader. Is there someone that's uh, ready to go that always has sort of a, a lesson in their back pocket that they're ready to go if you can't make it? Tweet me or Instagram all at username Art of the Sermon. Uh, you can go to artofthesermon.com, comment on the show notes. I would love to know how you handle this allergy season. What are some of the home remedies you do to keep your voice in shape, to keep your mental clarity, uh, and how do you deal with Sundays that you're sick? I, I always think that's an interesting, you know, it's not really about the philosophy of preaching, but it's a practical thing we all have to deal with. So I, I'd love to hear your tips and tricks about this time of year. And last month, I had the privilege of being a part of the North Carolina Preaching Festival up in Chapel Hill. And let me say, if you are looking for a conference or a continuing ed event to attend in 2017, go ahead and block out that last week of April and bookmark in your browser, ncpreachingfestival.org. I'm sure in the coming months, they'll have some information about next year's festival, but it's a really great experience. I had the chance to teach a workshop, but I was also there as someone attending the conference. And I learned so much from all of the presenters but also from the people in attendance. It's really a great opportunity to fellowship with and get to know other teachers and other preachers and learn from one another. It was also great to meet a couple of you that listened to the podcast and were in attendance at the festival. It's always great to put names and faces with the numbers that I see on the download page and to know that real teachers, real preachers, real people doing real ministry are a part of this community. It it was just just so cool. Uh, But if you follow me on Instagram at 
art of the sermon or you follow my ministry page at defining grace art of the sermon is a ministry of defining grace either of those accounts you would have seen some photos uh, with quotes from the conference and we're going to talk about how i made those next month our guest next month is brady Shear, who is the uh, founder and ceo of pro church tools and he's real into design and video and creative arts in the church and we had a really great conversation and so how i made those and how you can make those quickly and easily is a topic for next month. But make sure you get on the Instagram feed uh, and check out some of the quotes from the conference. A couple that I'll share with you, the ones that were most liked, of course, were from the headliner, Nadia Boltz-Weber. She was an incredible communicator, incredible preacher. It was great to get to hear her preach. Her first quote is, danger is not optional, fear is. She was talking about the passage where God is described as a mother hen that protects the chicks. And she was talking about how she finds the good news in every passage. And she said, you know, a mother hen can't make the fox not dangerous. The fox that comes for the chickens will always be dangerous. Danger is not optional, but fear is. The chicks that hide themselves under the mother's wing, what does that mother hen do? She helps calm the fear, and that's what God does for us. And then she had this other great quote, Law is if then, gospel is because therefore. Law is if then, gospel is because therefore. She was talking about her approach and philosophy behind preaching, and she tries very intentionally every time she preaches to find the gospel, the good news, and not to burden her hearers with the law. She said the law is always an if-then statement. If you do this, then this will happen. And so often what we preach comes out as law. We mean it to be gospel, and it may even be a reflection of the gospel. We say, if you do this, then this will happen. If you pray, then God will love you. If you obey, then God will bless you. When really we know in our hearts that that is not how it works, that that prayer is good, obedience is good, the Bible calls us to do things, but it's always in the light of because therefore, because God loved us, therefore God does this. Because God did this for us, therefore we have the ability to fill in the blank. So law is if then, gospel is because therefore. Like I said, it was an incredible experience. Obviously there'll be a different headliner next year, but certainly someone as awesome and as compelling as Nadia Boltz-Weber. So Mark down on your calendar the last week of April in 2017 and head over to ncpreachingfestival.org. And now for the rest of the episode, we have more from my interview with Dr. Brian Russell. Last episode, we talked primarily about reading Scripture. How do we read Scripture correctly? How do we read Scripture in light of the entirety of Scripture, the meta narrative, the thing that God is trying to communicate through the Bible as a whole? And of course, that's just the first step. And we actually have first a deleted scene, a little clip from that conversation about reading Scripture. I asked Brian about translations of the Bible. Are there any that he recommends, or is there a certain set of translations that he feels are best for preachers to interact with as they're preparing. He's got some really great things to say around that. And then, of course, after we read the scripture, the next step is proclamation. How do we actually speak it? How do we teach it? How do we preach it? And he has this concept that he calls speaking human. And so after we get through the conversation about translations of the Bible, he shares about this idea of speaking human. How do we take what we've read, what we've learned, what we've prepared, and teach it in a way that actually connects with real people. So here is more of my conversation with Dr. Brian Russell. And maybe to get a little technical too, um, you talked about checking different translations. And I know that 
at the level you're at, there are probably translations for which you like parts of the translation better than the others. If I recall in, in seminary, one of the first places you would look is the book of Psalms uh, to find out how they uh, addressed certain parts of the Bible. But for your general study or general, if you're doing a sermon prep and you only have so much time to look at a, a handful of translations, are there a couple that you tend to rely on more than others? Yeah, that's that, that's fair enough. I mean, one of the things I do, and, and a lot of times I'm I'm not in a in in one church. I get asked to be a, maybe a guest preacher. So one of the things I always do, and I think it's just important about even the learning to speak human, is I always ask what Bible most people use at that church. Mm. I'm always because you know I, I don't want to come in with some translation they've never heard. <laughs> and so I always make it a practice if you invite me to go to your church. I'll preach out of whatever Bible the pastor preaches out most of the time. Um, so that would be one I would always throw in if it's something different. But I mean, my go-to translations, I mean, I grew up, I cut my teeth on the original NIV. Um, I actually like the, the revision of the NIV. So that's one of my favorite English translations that I read a lot. Um, I like the new revised standard translation. It, that was a, a very popular in, in, in Methodist circles for a while. It still is in many places. So I, I still use that one. And I've been experimenting recently with uh, the, um, um, the, the CEV, the Common English Bible. A lot of the newer de- um, mainline denominations are going to that one. And it's a little bit fun. Again, I have a kind of an advantage. I, I like to read different translations just to, to see if I see something new. And, um, and then, you know, and I always go back if I need to, to the Greek and the Hebrew. And I, I have spent a, a huge part of my life to learn those languages so I can, I can use them fairly readily. Uh, but those are, those are the English translations that I'm using right now. But again, for good basic Bible study, um, beyond the, the ones that I just mentioned, it, it is critical to have, um, to, to, to pick a translation that's closer to what they call um, a formal equivalent translation. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not fair to call it word for word. It's good to have like a New American Standard, sometimes the English Standard Version, uh, the New King James. They're more difficult to read because they try to uh, use as few English words as possible, which leads more interpretation. It's good to always have one of those thrown into the mix just to uh, kind of ground yourself in a translation that's a little more wooden in the sense that it tries to follow the original. Mm-hmm. My honest answer, whenever somebody asks me what's the best translation, I always say, and I truly mean this, even as a you know guy with a PhD in Bible, it's, it's read whatever Bible you'll actually read. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather you're reading it. Other than, you know, you don't want to re- use, um, you know, maybe some cult's version of the Bible, <laughs> right, right, right. a Christian translation, you know, what, whatever. Um, but when you're, if you're going to do careful study, you know, use the one you like the best in your careful study, but then, you know, throw in one of those formal equivalent translations, again, like the New King James or the um, ESV or the New American Standard, and then uh, grab a hold of a couple of the um, uh, dynamic equivalent ones that are more in the middle, like, again, like the TNIV or the NRSV. I think those are good translations. And then, if again, if you want to throw in a, a really dynamic one, the CEV would fit in there. Or um, even some people like to use the message, but you want to ground yourself into some, some that aren't so overly interpretive. Because a lot of translations, the ones that are, that uh, like the common English version, I do like it, but a, a translation like that, it's making the decisions about what the text means for you. Right. And it, it gets rid of some of the ambiguities, and it's important to be able to see some of the ambiguities, and, and some of the, and the the more literal translations will leave a little bit more ambiguity in there. And that's important if you're 
again, preaching or teaching that you can see the possibilities that are there. For the for the last seven months or so since I, I moved states, I decided to start the CEB and started in Matthew and read through the New Testament, wrapping around through the Old Testament. I know that that dynamic translation is a normal, you know, sort of technical term, but there are there are some points in it where some phrases get tossed in there. We're like, okay, wow, that's that actually feels really fresh compared to the rest of this chapter. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, something will jump out, uh, and so it's been, it's been fun to have that as part of my morning quiet time over the last half a year or so. Yeah, it's and that's a, and, and that's one of the ways, like you even said, when when the Bible starts feeling very common, grab a new translation and just read through it, especially, again, one of these dynamic ones, and it just makes, it kind of, it freshens it up a little bit. Again, you, you can disagree with points if you don't like certain parts of the translation, but it's, it's, it makes it, it makes you ponder, and that's, and that's, that's important. You always want to ponder the text, yeah. take it all in, uh, and that's when good things happen. As we turn to the the second, so we've got the reading of Scripture. You've given us a wonderful lens, a wonderful frame in which to understand all parts of Scripture. And, and once we begin to have that perspective, we turn to deciding how we're going to present what we're reading and seeing and learning. And you've you've mentioned this phrase before. You have this concept that you call speaking human. And so would you tell us a, a little bit about this idea and how it can truly be the link that connects the speaker to the audience and makes sure that, that things are coming through clearly? Yeah, and this is something that I've pondered a lot because there's there's always a debate when you're preaching or teaching. Uh, do you, do you uh, preach to Christians or do you preach to non Christians? And I once heard Erwin uh, McManus, who was one of my favorite uh, preachers, um, um, especially very influentially about a decade ago when I when I first heard him, and and he kind of jokingly said, um, "Well, you." You can preach to both as long as you remember that they're both humans. Mm, yeah. and, and I remember sitting there thinking, "Boy, that's a great line." I, I wonder what that really means. And so uh, I, you know, I went back. I'm the I was the I'm the professor, so I thought like, that's a great line. So I need to kind of flesh that out. So I started thinking about what would it mean to learn to speak to humans, and essentially what what it, what it gets at is it's it's back to communication. Erwin McManus's brother Alex was a good friend of mine. Has been a mentor, uh, and he he has this great line. The gospel comes to us on its way to someone else. As, as a way of summarizing the way the whole Bible works, the gospel comes to us on its way to someone else. So there's, there's this, always this missional piece in Scripture. And so if we're going to be faithful as God's people, uh, our churches have to always be open to the other, to share the good news with the person who's not yet heard the good news, and be able to learn how to do it in ways that actually still connect with a person who hasn't grown up in in the church. Uh, I'll give you an example of, of what it would mean to not speak human. A, a few years ago, when we were planning a church, I had some of um, some Asbury students actually helping me out, and and I I would we had a preaching team, so we took turns. And I remember one of the students was preaching, and they forgot that they weren't preaching for me, their teacher. <laughs> uh, and right. so they they actually geared the whole sermon to me, and like when they it was there was a, they were preaching a great text. It's the Philippians two passage where it talks about uh, Jesus, uh, who being um, the same as God, didn't didn't equate equality with God as something to be grasped or something to be exploited. That that wonderful passage in Philippians uh, chapter two, and right. they told everybody this is called. Uh, the Christ hymn, and, and they were just using all these technical words, and a lot of that, in that congregation was about half of these were homeless people, and they, didn't, they just couldn't follow it because uh, the, the, the preacher forgot the audience. And so right. to learn to speak human, 
it's absolutely critical for us as interpreters, I think, to intentionally take ourselves out of, um, I mean, at least metaphorically or symbolically, taking ourselves out of our pastor study or our church library setting and consciously set ourselves in the world as the context for our preaching. Because again, Jesus said, follow me, I will make you fish for people. And Jesus then led his disciples into, and just walked around and led them into the world on mission as he announced the kingdom. And so hmm. to, to be able to speak human, we have to actually consciously establish a new setting, a new context for our reading of Scripture. We need to read the Scripture, not just in the church, we need to read the Scriptures in the world. Uh, and that gives us a location. And the model there is Jesus, who's always going into the world looking for lost sheep. And so we need to learn to read the, the Scriptures, essentially, where Jesus is, go to the cross. And the cross, I would suggest, is at the crossroads where the church and the world would connect. Mm. And, and so I want to listen to the text uh, for a person who doesn't yet know Jesus. So one of the essential things to learn to speak human, and this is hard, especially if uh, you know you said some of the audience are actually pastors, this is hard for pastors, is you have to have friends who don't go to church. Right, yes. Uh, you have to be involved. I always tell people, you know, if you like to play sports, don't play in the church league. Go play in the regular <laughs> right. league, or at least get your church team to not play in the church league, to take your church team and play in the regular league, just so you can be around. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say regular people, not to say that Christians aren't regular people, but just be around persons who live their life essentially oblivious of the gospel. Because right. when you do that, you're going to hear the kind of questions and struggles, and, and that's going to help you read the Bible because you can think, okay, you know, if you're if you only hang around with Christians and you're reading the Bible, you end up reading. You know, the old way of preaching was you had to exegete the text for your congregation. Now that's still important because we, you know, we don't want to neglect people in, in our churches. But if we're trying to lead a missional movement, which I think is what we need to be doing now, is uh, in our churches, lead our churches to expand, to plant more churches, to reach our neighbors. You have to know your neighbors, and so a key thing to being able to speak human is actually to um, hang around with the people that live around you that aren't Christians. Um, read the magazines that they read. Uh, watch um, the you know TV the shows that they're watching. Again, you have to, sh I'm not saying to, re you know, go watch um, inappropriate movies or read inappropriate things, but I mean, you can read the general kind of things that people are reading, watch the things that, that, that uh, they're watching. And what that's going to give you is that's going to give you communication tools. Right. Because again, go back to Jesus's um, first message. He said, follow me, I will make you fish for people. Um, think about who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to fishermen. Right. You know, right. And what's funny is, I mean, I don't know if you, if you grew up in the church, you may have s s uh, sang a, a kid song when you were growing up. I, I sang and it was, I will make you fishers of men. I don't know if mm -hmm. you ever heard that, that kid song. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. Now, what was funny when I was a kid, I had never been fishing. <laughs> And neither had been most of the people that were in that Sunday school class. So the teacher had right. to teach us what fishing was so that we could understand the text. <laughs> yeah, if you have to explain the metaphor to then try to understand the underlying thing, you're you're already two steps away from where you need to yeah, be. So exactly. So speaking human is saying, 
I'm going to love my audience enough that they don't have to change or learn something to hear the gospel from me. Right. And so, you know, and Jesus is modeling that. We just end up codifying his language. But if Jesus was, you know, calling you or me today, he's not saying, I mean, I don't know if you fish, Dan. I don't think you're a professional fisherman. I, no, no, that's... <laughs> I, yeah, I live in Georgia now, but I have not yet picked up fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, and I don't either. So he's going to use some other metaphor for us. And so, you know, that's that's the key thing. Speaking human is setting ourselves into the world so that we learn the words that people use. And it's not, again, we're not going to, we're going to call people to change. That's what the gospel does. It calls us to come to the cross. But the key thing is we don't want to, the cross is a big enough stumbling block for many people. That's what the scriptures say. But we want to learn to speak using language so that our words aren't the stumbling block. Right. Or the assumed, yeah. you know, in, in a great question you can always ask your church, um, even in your worship services, what does a person have to become as a precondition to hearing the gospel from me? Mm. Uh, and so speaking human is trying to knock that down. Again, th- this is a, a process, and we you know there's the world is so diverse that you you know you can drive yourself crazy at some level, but it's it's essentially embedding what Paul did. I become all things to all p- people so that by all possible means I might uh, save some. So it's about right. limiting. So that, that's one of the first steps. And then always thinking about your audience. You know, you have both Christians. And non-Christians, if you're preaching essentially in a missional setting, and so you want to have the way you proclaim the text, um, you want to call both groups, if you want to think of it that way, to the cross. Uh, Christians who are already following Jesus need to continually realign themselves with what Jesus is doing now, and persons who aren't yet following Jesus need to take that initial step and align themselves with what Jesus is doing now. And so... Speaking human is a way of reading the scripture and simultaneously calling everybody in our audience essentially to a, a new conversion experience. Yes. Yes. And, you know, like the, one of the opening sentences in my book is the goal of biblical interpretation is conversion. It always mm. is. You know, we're the first convert. How is this text calling me to change? How is this text calling persons already following Jesus to change? How is the text calling persons who might be outsiders at this moment or seekers? to take that step and align themselves with what Jesus is doing. But again, it's a new audience, consciously putting yourself in a new location, a missional context, and then asking these kind of new questions that invite everybody to find themselves at the cross and to realign themselves with what God's doing today. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 16 of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they go live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Our next episode is scheduled to go live on June 2nd, and so in just a couple of weeks, you'll get to hear my interview with Brady Shearer, founder and CEO of Pro Church Tools. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.